Welcome everyone to the Otter Podcast. I'm your host, Madison Page, and today we're going to be talking about a mysterious creature lurking in the rainforest. Is it an Ice Age reject or Bigfoot South American cousin? Let's find out on the Otter side. All right, welcome everyone to episode one of the Otter Podcast. It's the inaugural episode. Here on the Otter Pod, we will be discussing all things weird, wonderful, and just downright strange, from cults to serial killers to natural phenomenon. We're going to talk about aliens and thespians and what happens when people eat things that fall from the skies. I love to learn and I want to share all the weird things I've learned with all of you. I'm so excited for you to join me. Let's get right into it. Today, we are talking about the Mapinguari, a terrifying beast believed to reside in the Amazon. The stories of interactions with this monster fill the air around many campfires and cooking stoves. Used to scare children into staying out of the dense jungle, it has an equal effect of striking fear into the hearts of men and women alike. Stories of it originated from the Brazilian and Venezuelan regions of the Amazon. Manuel Vitorino Pinheiro dos Santos, a local of Barra, was the victim of an attack. He was out hunting some pickeries, a relative of the wild pig, when he heard the hair-raising screams of the creatures, like the shriek of a banshee ripping through the underbrush. Grabbing what supplies he could, he raced to the river, even as the creature's horrifying wails followed him. He reported hiding under the water until the calls faded away. No locals dared to face the creature, even armed with a gun, as any shots fired bounced right off. He describes it as having the claws of a giant armadillo, the face of a monkey, and a smell like garlic and rotting pork. This is similar to many depictions of the beast, although the true descriptors are all over the map. Unlike more noted creatures such as Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster, what the Mapinguari looks like is dependent on who is telling the story. In traditional descriptors, it is described as more ape-like, tall and with the shell of a turtle, who stalks out of the forest at night to catch locals off guard and consume them. Most modern accounts describe it more as a giant or cyclops with backwards feet and a mouth on its stomach that emits the vicious roars. A particularly interesting description in 1960 compared it to a large horse that would leave scrapings on trees from scratching itself. As varying as all these are, some things remain the same about all the sightings. The beast is incredibly tall. It has an odor so foul it can disorient any unfortunate human that comes across it. And it displays the ability to walk both bipedal and quadrupedal. Its diet is also vague. While the general consensus is that the creature is vegetarian, eating bakaba and basabu palms whose fruit it breaks open using its large and deadly claws. There have been some claims that it has slaughtered whole herds of cattle by ripping out their tongues, or that it twists the heads off of humans to eat their brain matter in the night. The cry of the creature is its most terrifying feature, and what is said to ward off most unwary humans. Distinctly, people report hearing either a booming, grumbling, thunder-like noise, or a high-pitched shriek similar to that of an injured man. Now, human-like screams are not unusual in wildlife, Take, for instance, in North America, where the shout of a fox or scream of a bobcat have convinced many that someone was in dire need of aid. Groans, grunts, and even a frog-like croak have all been attributed to the creature, although it should be noted 
that those describing hearing the second human-like cry also reported the foul smell, meaning the creature was very nearby. Could this possibly mean that the shriek noise is a warning of the creature? There have been many reports that the cries were so terrifying that whole villages who heard them nearby picked up everything and moved. One of the most interesting attributions to the Mapanguari is the relationship it is rumored to have with other animals, sometimes being described as being followed around by a swarm of flies or even a pack of peccaries and acting as a protector of the creature. Although the origin of the Mapanguari is not really known, some believe it to be an old Indian whose pride caused him to seek out immortality and be cursed, transforming into the creature and forced to wander the jungles forever. In 1920, Bolivian writer Jose Aguias Acha pointed out the creature primarily appears in stories from rubber tappers and forest laborers and said that it was kind of regarded as a creature of fiction, created so these workers could get out of doing their work. In 1923, in a European journal, the Mapanguari was briefly described as an evil genie or spirit of the forest in Tupi belief. Mario Pereira de Souza is another local man who describes being attacked by this creature. He was working as a hunter for a mining camp in Para. He reported the creature screaming and staggering toward him on its hind legs. He describes the smell as being so affrontive that he became dizzy and did not fully recover for two months. The staggering of the creature's walk is a common theme. While it is described as having the ability to walk both on its hind legs and on all fours, when walking on two legs, it is said to seem unsteady and have a kind of waddling motion. This leads some to believe that the creature's massive height is more for threats or perhaps for the use of reaching tall branches for food rather than as a means of overpowering others or a use of attack. Now a creature as feared as the Mapanguari must surely attract a lot of attention. There are several documented encounters with the beast, including one where it is said to have broken a man's jaw. Surely that must concern the government and intrigue the scientific community. As I'm sure you're picking up from my tone, it doesn't. In fact, for most of the world, the Mapanguari is just a silly little folklore, a Bigfoot, a boogeyman, a fun campfire story that workers use to shirk their responsibilities and mothers use to chastise their young into behaving. However, there are a few in the academic community who believe it to be more than just a story. One such man, Dr. David C. Oren, an ornithologist and expert on Amazonian biodiversity, has dedicated the better part of his career to the pursuit of the animal. Oren has become the foremost name in the investigation behind the existence of the Mapanguari. However, this was not always his path. David C. Oren was born May 20th, 1953 in Jackson, Michigan. He received a bachelor's degree from Yale University in 1975 and a master's degree from Harvard University in 1978. In 1981, his dissertation, Zoographic Analysis of the White Sand Campina Vegetation of Amazonia, earned him his PhD. His work primarily focused on the Amazon, and his resume reflects this, moving from jobs such as a lecturer in Florida to a professor at a South American university, and he even served as a scientific director at the Nature Conservatory in Brazil. 
he would later become a naturalized citizen and hold a Brazilian passport. So how did this distinguished scientist come to believe the fantastical claims of the seven-foot-tall creature with backwards feet? Simple. Science. Oren first heard the claims of the creature when studying birds in the Amazon as part of his research for his PhD. He quickly filed away the stories with all the other Amazonian legends of creatures and spirits. However, after five years of continually hearing accounts, even he started to get a little suspicious. One day, he recounted these stories to a historian friend. The two men discussed it at length and came upon the conclusion that the fearsome, tobacco-loving Mapinguari could only be an ice age leftover hidden in the dense jungle of the Amazon. A creature long thought dead, who also stood over seven feet tall and had a penchant for good vegetation. Simply, he believed the Mapinguari was a giant ground sloth. Now let's get a little backstory on the giant ground sloth. Weighing in at upwards of four tons and with a height of 20 feet tall, these massive land mammals were only outsized by the woolly mammoth. Unlike their cousins, the two and three-toed sloths of today, their massive girth made tree living impossible, so they were more attuned to digging tunnels and living subterranean in burrows. They lived in groups and used their great heights to feast upon the highest leaves. They were also believed to occasionally snack upon carcasses they found, but this behavior is not unusual in herbivores. Modern-day deer have been photographed gnawing on bones from a body at a body farm. So think about that the next time you watch Bambi. Not only did they have a size advantage, they were also equipped with massive claws on both their forefeet and hindfeet. They are believed to have been able to defend themselves very efficiently, easily disemboweling a saber-toothed tiger or overly confident early hominid. This all allowed the giant ground sloth to survive and propagate for 5.3 million years. There was even a time when roughly in 8,500 BC, an unexplained mass extinction caused the death of most large land mammals. While scientists still can't explain why this occurred, the sloth survived and went on for another 5,000 years or more in remote areas. Now these are obviously some very genetically blessed specimens, but like for most of the early mammals, their extinction is blamed on humankind. For years, scientists tried to figure out how humans were able to hunt such a capable beast, but have come to the conclusion that they used misdirection. 10,000 year old footprints found at the White Sand National Monument in New Mexico illustrate this battle. The area is a wide, flat, dry plain where tracks from early animals and humans have been preserved by the climate. These tracks are called ghost tracks and can only be seen in specific weather conditions. They have tracks from woolly mammoths and dire wolves and even early humans. They have even found what they believe to be the prehistoric attack site of a giant ground sloth. Now, a 20 to 13 foot tall sloth on its back legs with such Formidable appendages against some hominid hunters with some very rustic weapons doesn't sound like nearly a fair fight. So how did they do it? Well, scientists believe that hunters worked together using the sloth's size against it. While the beast was able to stand on its hind legs, it wasn't able to walk on them very well. Its heavy weight and underdeveloped pelvis 
landed to it needing to use its tail as a tripod to balance while standing. This meant the sloth was unable to make quick movements with its feet. They posit, from the prince found, that one hunter would act as bait and distract the sloth, who would be overbalanced by the swing of its arm as it tried to defend itself. This would cause the sloth to fall back onto all fours. Then another hunter would come from behind to try and strike a killing blow. Basically, they played a very dangerous game of chicken with the sloth. While hunters were probably injured or killed using this method, it proved to be very effective, as the giant ground sloth is believed to have been rendered extinct due to overhunting. However, is there a possibility that some of them hid away instead? The Amazonian rainforest is wet and dense and darkened by a thick foliage overhead. It is full of stinging ants, Africanized bees, mosquitoes carrying malaria, and every scary fly you can think of. It contains a pantheon of animals that even though known to reside there are almost never spotted, such as the jaguar. If something in there really didn't want to be found, it wouldn't be. So what is the basis for the possibility of the Mapinguari being a surviving ground sloth? The Amazon was known to be in the path of the sloth's territory. The sloths were burrowers and thrived on vegetation. If a small family group of ground sloths slinked into the thick vegetation of the jungle to hide from the encroaching human population and continued to survive and propagate there, would it be so far of a stretch to say that maybe a few of their offspring still exist today? This is what our friend Dr. Oren thought. In 1993, he published a paper for Giordania Zoologia. In it, Oren demonstrated how each of the Mapinguari's characteristics were consistent with a human-sized ground sloth. Almost all known hair samples from mummified ground sloths are reddish in color, just as the Mapinguari's coat is described to be. They are believed to have walked with their claws turned inward, which would give rise to stories of backwards feet, as the unusual curvature would lead people to interpret the tracks the wrong way around. Their claws have often been compared to those of the giant anteater, who walks in a similar fashion. The fossilized ground sloth tracks have been misinterpreted as giant human footprints before, which would convince some people that the tracks were made by an ape-like creature, or even possibly a giant. Oren suggests that the more common round track attributed to the Mapinguari could be the imprint of the tip of its powerful tail, as it uses it to balance when standing on its hind legs. The giant ground sloth was also believed to be, in some words, armor-plated, as fossils have shown proof of osteoderms, or little bony knobs in the skin. This would make any shots fired at the Mapinguari appear to bounce right off. Animals living in forests are often smaller than their open-area counterparts. This could explain why it's not described as a 20-foot tall giant sloth, but rather on average about 13 feet tall. Oren's study of the ground sloth hyoid bones suggested to him that they would be capable of making loud vocalizations similar to the screaming shriek described. Dr. Oren even pinpointed the specific ground sloth he believes lives in the forest, the Megalonyx. His reasoning being some descriptors from hunters including a horse-like face and feces, as well as peg-like canines. These features, combined with a smaller stature, fit closer to megalonyx. 
and when showing reconstructions of what the sloth would have looked like, two eyewitnesses identified only by the names Giovaldo and Salinas confirmed that this was the creature spotted. A picture of this particular sloth I'm going to put on the social media so you guys can take a look as well. Even with those eyewitness accounts, little more has been collected to prove the sloth's existence. Hair and feces samples that were taken have been positively identified as both monkey and tapir, and footprints have proven inconclusive. Even the terrifying calls have yet to be recorded, or at least if they have, I wasn't able to find a recording of one. Dr. Oren's love of the rainforest, his need to protect it from developers is what drove his fantastical search. He states that if they could just prove the existence of such a creature, the government would be forced to set aside protected land for it. As of right now, the rainforest continues to be stripped by greedy companies looking for profit over life. I really don't want to end this episode on the thought of the destruction of the rainforest. So let's leave on this. Did you know that when the first fossils of the giant ground sloth were discovered in 1788, it was believed to have belonged to an enormous mole that accidentally burrowed to the surface only to be scorched to death by the sun? That's cool, right? So what do you think? Do you think there was a giant sloth in the rainforest? Or do you prefer the tales of the Mapinguari stalking in the shadows? As for me, I'm completely sold on it. I hopped on the giant sloth train and I'm riding it straight to the station. But is it also possible that it's not either of these creatures? What if there's something lurking out there, somewhere between a Mapinguari and a giant ground sloth, that we just haven't seen yet? And that's all for today's show! So, what do you think the creature truly is? Let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and leave a review. I'm sorry if there was any weird pronunciation issues. I tried to find spoken examples of everything, but I'm also fighting a southern accent. The Otter Podcast posts every other Thursday. If you have any suggestions for a subject on the podcast, you can email us at theotterpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Otter Side.